welcome to another C3 Church Rockingham podcast. For more information about C3 Rockingham, please visit www.c3r.org.au. This theme of relationships, we chose it so we can encourage growth for you guys in your relationships to inspire us to change where we need change so we can build healthy, strong relationships. I love healthy relationships. I thought about it today. I like this idea. I think we all like the idea of healthy relationships. Am I right? But I feel like sometimes we're underprepared for them. And why I say that, we go into new friendships or marriages or having kids with this idea that this healthy relationship is just going to happen. You know, like it's manufactured almost. You know, we're talking about Married at First Sight this morning and The Bachelor and those types of shows where they try to manufacture relationships. And we can go into the understanding that that's gonna happen. I'll get married and I'll have a good marriage. I'll have children and I'll be the best parent there is. Or I'm gonna be a teacher and oh, you know what? These kids have never seen me coming. But it doesn't always happen that way. And why is that? You know, we could blame reality TV, but I think it's our human condition. Why? Because part of our human condition is we go in with hoping for the best. We think that we'll make it work and that person's just gonna love me for me. You know what, as I get older, that doesn't cut it. (laughs) Can I be honest? Healthy relationships are built. They're built, they take a lot of time and effort. They do. I can't stand up here and say, well, it's going to be easy. All your relationships is going to flow. You'll get Christ in your life and then it comes from there. It doesn't. But I know that without Christ, it would be impossible for me. Thinking about myself today, if I didn't have Christ, my selfishness would sabotage any relationship I was in. It really would. I would self-sabotage, if you like. My insecurities would take over and I wouldn't be able to love family members, friends, or even the church like Christ does. It's impossible without Him. Is there anyone out there who agrees with me on that? Yeah. <laughs> Few people, good. So it's not just me. So how do we do it? You know, most of us start with our salvation and that's a great place to start. I think it's the key starting point for any relationship to be based on the salvation of Christ. But I think we need to go back to the start also and see what God actually had in, in mind for our relationships. Because if we go back to the start of time, if we start in Genesis, we see His intention for relationship. Because after God created Adam, he realised it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. He said it, he goes, you know what? This is not how it could be or should be. So he created Adam, um, Eve instead because he saw the need for human relationship, human to human relationship, not just human and God relationship. And for him, for Adam to need this companion. And I hear a lot of people say, I'm not a people person. I don't need people. But these people usually have a spouse or kids or they're working. They're in an environment every day. They're in interaction with at least one person, if not more than one. They're in relationships. And what I think is that those people, rather than not needing people, they don't need huge groups of friends or extra socialising time on the weekends. They're not that way wired. But they do have one person that they fall back on. And God created it this way because He specifically designed a second person, the Eve, for the Adam. And this Eve was meant to not only compliment him, but challenge him as a good wife that challenges her husband. (laughs) And I say it because I do it. I put it into practice all the time, apparently. But it was no accident that Eve was created from Adam's rib, that she was created to be this helpmate, that someone who could both compliment and challenge. There was a purpose to it. And I'm sure that things got pretty rocky after they were kicked out of the garden. I'm sure like most marriages, there were discussion times about what had happened, don't you think? I'm sure it wasn't smooth sailing from that point on. 
But that's where God, God's plan began for these two people. And that's where the family unit began. The design for a family became possible through Adam and Eve. And that's where it all started. So no matter what situation you're in, you could be married, single, a parent, a daughter, a son, an employee, whatever you're in, the need is still there for relationship. And you know what, some of our relationships do need this custom touch, you know, that for that person, you need to love them in a certain way or do certain things. But I truly believe that we all should, our starting point should be ourselves. And what I mean is, it's not according to our circumstance or their individual need, but starting the process is not because we're already in a relationship or we desire to have one. Rather, it starts with this desire to be the best version of me that I can be, that I can fully love people because I've already worked on myself well enough to be able to do it. To identify our our areas that need to be developed and to develop them. (laughs) Someone said to me this morning, oh, it's all good having these words, but if we're not actually doing it, what difference does it make? I said, exactly. I mean, yes, you can hear a good word and go, great, preach. But you have to develop these areas in your own life. The preacher can't do it for you, unfortunately. We wish, hey, you could just hear it and it goes in and suddenly you become something you've always wanted to be. And you know what? I love the church, not just our church, but the global church. And I see the need for it. Obviously, I wouldn't be here if I didn't. But modern day churches embrace this brokenness mentality. And what I mean is, this, this come as you are ideology. Now there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good ideology. Jesus accepts us as broken people. But it's the stay as you are ideology that becomes very, very messy. Because here it is, when the church focuses so much on salvation, but not discipleship, what do we end up with? Dysfunction. Because a family without boundaries, structure and discipline will have chaos. And yeah, sure there's love. There's always love in church and families but love is not enough to build a healthy relationship on. Why am I saying that? I've seen my friends, I've seen family members, marriages break down and these people split up and they loved each other very much. Maybe at one point, maybe not at the end, but there was love there. But the other stuff was dysfunctional. They hadn't built healthy relationships that could last the test of time. And although God loves us in our brokenness, we come to Him, all of us come in that broken moment and He'll love us regardless. His intention was always to heal us, to fix us if you like, and then us to grow from it. I love this analogy of a broken cup. I was reading about it this week. And if we imagine ourselves as a cup with cracks or breaks in it from our past hurts and wounds and maybe unforgiveness, things that we haven't dealt with. You know, when Christ comes He plans to fill us, doesn't He, with His love, with this river of life that He calls this living water. And this water can become life-changing. It can transform us if we allow it. But the, the problem with it is if you've got cracks, if you've got breaks, it spills out. You cannot overflow with it. But when our cup becomes whole and healed and we allow Christ to examine our weaknesses and really say, what can I work on to make this better? When there's no cracks anymore, His love pours in and it overflows. And suddenly we can give to others freely. We can you know, do these healthy relationships and it doesn't become about us. We're not worried about ourselves or what I'm missing out on or maybe you know, what others have. Instead, we have that ability to just love them as Jesus did. And that's the power of healing. That's the power of looking at yourself and saying, what areas do I need to identify? And now that I've identified an area of weakness, am I gonna stay in it or am I gonna do something about it? So it brings me to my first point. Number one, healthy people build healthy relationships. You know, it's impossible to say, I'm healthy, I've just got a little bit of heart disease. Doesn't make sense to say that. 
You know, and it's the same with our relationships. So my relationships help me. I've just got a little bit of dysfunction, a little bit of lies, you know, a little bit of this on the weekend. No, it's dysfunction and ultimately leads to an unhealthy relationship of some sort. And while our relationships were never meant or can't be perfect, I guess, have we gotten to the point where we accept our dysfunction, our brokenness? This is the way I am. So it's the way I'm always going to be. This is the way I was brought up. There's no changing it now. You know, I finished this devotion this week and it's called Broken Crayon Still Colour. It's a very famous one and it was good. But I couldn't stop thinking about the title. And I thought, you know what? Yeah, broken crayons still colour, but they're not as effective. They're harder to use. You know, you're trying to work a little crayon, it's snapped. You know, I need a new crayon. And sometimes people don't see the value in them. Now, if I translate this over to myself, I know how much more effective I am when I'm not broken anymore, when I've already been healed. I know that when I've asked the Holy Spirit for strength and I've conquered an area of weakness, I function so much better. And when I realise I'm easier to be around because I've worked hard in an area to overcome it, my relationships work much better. So broken crayon, you still work. Yeah, they still colour. But what about a brand new one? What about a healed and whole crayon? That's where we should be endeavouring to be. And I'm not saying it's not okay to be broken. It's not my point. I'm saying don't accept brokenness. Don't say this is the way it always will be. I've got to be this way. Everyone says around me, there's no changing this. Because if Jesus cared enough, if He cared enough to take on that cross for you, to promise you not only salvation, but eternity, then He cares enough to also make you whole while you're here living on the earth. You know, Isaiah says this in 53, three to five. I love this passage. This is speaking of Jesus when He was on the cross. It says, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held Him in low esteem. Surely He took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered Him punished by God, stricken by Him and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him and by His wounds we are healed. You see, the point of this is no one would look at Jesus, but He endured anyway. He endured for our brokenness to be made whole. For the times where we would cry and say, no one sees me, God, or what I'm going through. You see, Jesus already experienced that for you. He already knows what it's like for people to reject you. He knows what it's like to be broken. And then He knows what's on the other side of that. So He saw your hurt, but He did something about it. He didn't just suffer through it and go, oh, you poor thing. He made amends for you and He wanted it to be done. He wanted your sins, your brokenness to be nailed to that cross so you could have freedom, to be able to function wholly in those healthy relationships that He planned for you. So just because you've come from this broken home doesn't mean you're going to create one. Just because you didn't do well at school means I'm gonna be unsuccessful or poor. Just because you've been abused and used all your life doesn't mean you'll always be that victim. And I wanna say that, and just because you've always been like this doesn't mean it's impossible to change. I don't know, I think all of us could have a list of many reasons why we are broken or reasons why we could stay broken. But this is what we need to keep in mind. John 10.10 says, The thief's purpose is to steal, to kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. So this Scripture, the first part, we always focus on it. Hey, we've got this enemy. He's out there. He's going to kill. He's going to steal. He's going to destroy. Yes, we know that. We know He's a taker, a deceiver. He cannot add anything to your life, but He can try to convince you that this is all there is. 
this is how it's always going to be. That you're never going to have a happy marriage, that you won't have children, that your brokenness will ultimately affect everybody around you. These are the lies he says that you take hold of and ultimately let affect relationships that you enter into. He wants to destroy your relationship or even the possibility of one in the future. Now, why does he do it? Because he knows like a church, when a church is unified, there's power. And just like any healthy relationships, there's power in them. You know, families that work together and keep the faith in rough times have power. We saw Geordie and Bianca and their kids and what they went through and how they unified and became like a stronger unit. Now they had a choice there whether to go either way, didn't they? But the enemy knows that if, if they can split that apart, it becomes something he can use and make unhealthy rather than healthy. And we see marriages that can be restored after separations. And there's been a time where the enemy has tried to separate, rather these people make a choice and come back together. Or when we have children that you welcome back with open arms who have walked away. I love seeing things like this because this is the power in healthy relationships. When people allow you back in, when the church opens its doors for those people that have been broken or maybe have done the wrong thing and left the church and they can come back. Because you see the last part of that Scripture we don't focus on much, but it tells us about God's purpose. So even though we have this enemy, we already know His plan. It's written in black and white for us. We can know it. There's no surprise attack, if you like. We know what the enemy can do and we know what he can't. But God comes in later and He shares His plan. And here it is, to give us a rich and satisfying life. And I don't know about you, but a lot of my richness and my satisfaction in my life comes from my relationships. I have to be honest, I thought about it today. You know, when Kiva comes and he curls up under my arm to watch a movie, or when Albert asks me about school and wants advice, and when Bobby is his usual calm presence and I'm stressing out, I realise that I'm blessed. I'm blessed to have those relationships. And I also realise that healthy relationships are possible. That when that doubt creeps in and I think, I'm so unworthy to have this, I think of Jesus. And I think, you know, He's already paid that price. I've offered up my brokenness to Him and He's fixed it. That I'm able to do anything and build any relationship through His strength. So number two, healthy relationships are built when the lies stop. When we're able to see ourselves for who we are in Christ and when we can see the enemy for who He truly is. Those two are very important. Discover your identity in Christ and also know the enemy and what he's trying to do. When the truth is exposed through the Word, we're able to use it to build on. It becomes our foundation for everything we do. You cannot underestimate the power of the Bible, of the Word. It holds everything we need, it's the keys. I am more than a conqueror, I can become your prayer. I'm not who I used to be. My identity has been founded in Christ and my future is secure. I have to say this to myself. That is a prayer I say a lot. When I feel insecure, when anxiety creeps in, when I feel very undeserving of what God has given me, I remind myself that, hang on, He did this for me. He's given it to me. I will have a healthy marriage, great kids, a successful career. The enemy cannot take this from me and I'm aware of my power in Christ. I like to think that God sent Jesus to the earth for more than just salvation, death, resurrection. And what I mean by that is His ultimate goal obviously was to save us and to show us His power through that act. But there's more to His story. There's a lot to learn from the life of Jesus, the example He set. Because you see, one of the aspects Jesus excelled in was relationships. He drew people to Him. People followed Him wherever He went. He was rarely alone. And one of the stories you remember, He wants alone time. He pretty much gets on a boat 
and goes across the water to go, you know, I need my space. But you see, Jesus knew how to build close relationships with some, but not all. He also knew that how to interact with people and meet their needs, to love them and to meet them where they're at, whether it was a home environment or a work environment. He had those fears really well covered. But Jesus could not have picked a more diverse group of 12 people to accomplish His divine purpose. These 12 disciples that He chose didn't have a lot in common. So this is what I've got here. One was an unpredictable fisherman, possibly one with a bias against Nazareth, a fanatic Jewish nationalist, a despised tax collector, a sceptic and pessimist, two sons of thunder who had explosive tempers and a covetous betrayer. And in Luke, it says, these guys argued amongst themselves, who was the best disciple? (laughs) They weren't best friends, were they? No. So Jesus brought these 12 men together with a lot of issues and He chose them to be His closest friends, His closest allies. But they don't seem to go together. And I think it's like us in church. Now I thought about church today. Our relationships in church are not based on what qualifies us. Who's the best? Who's the prettiest? Who's the funniest? They're not even based on our common interests. A lot of us are very, very different people. But instead, what we have in common is what we build on in Christ. Christ is what linked the disciples and it's what, it, what links us to here at church. We should never forget that. Maybe we know out in the world we wouldn't be friends, but here we are. <laughs> Suck it up. <laughs> you know, I, had a, I grew up in a very small church school. Wasn't many kids in this school. And I had this best friend and she once said to me, you know, Cameron, we wouldn't be friends if we went to a school with more kids. <laughs> I was offended. But you know what, I went away and thought about it and I thought, you know what, she's right. We had nothing in common. We were very different personalities. But do you know what linked us? Not choice, circumstance. You know, that we were here. We were at that school. We made the best of the people that were there. We thought we were the best of the best, so we became best friends. (laughs) And you know what, we built a strong, healthy relationship for years based on that. And I'm thankful for it, don't get me wrong. But I realised what she was saying. Number three, healthy relationships don't depend on common interests. Don't fall for that lie. Well, they're not like me. I can't you know, hang out with them. We're very different. We have different opinions. So what? You know, I've seen so many successful marriages with people who are not only completely opposite personalities, but don't have any common interests. And you think, how does that work? They make compromise their friend and they attend many wheelchair basketball games. Or is that, that's just me. <laughs> but you see, it does. Bobby and I couldn't be any more different. I, I I don't mind sport, but you know what? It's not my thing all the time in every type of sport. But I do it because I love him and compromise is definitely our friend. (laughs) Jesus and the 12 were not dependent on common careers, personalities, or even personal opinions. They were dependent. These 12 disciples were dependent on being followers of Christ. They made that their purpose. It wasn't good enough for them to just say, hey, I'm one of those disciples. It meant committing to Him and His expectations to build on that healthy relationship. They did not get along well all the time, but they were a tight unit at the same time. Their salvation was just the beginning of their story and the discipleship followed after that. Now, one of the definitions of disciple is to accept and assist in spreading the doctrines of another. Serious definition. But in other words, you put into practice what you've been taught. So when you learn the, the, the teachings of Christ, when you see the man that He was, you can also put it into practice in your life. You can say, you know what? Jesus was a good friend. I can be a good friend. Jesus was a mentor. Why can't I be a mentor? Whatever it is, put it into practice in your relationships. The Word is meant to be used as a tool. You know, 
I think when we look through the Bible, we see Jesus as a perfect example and He can seem sometimes unrelatable, even though He wasn't. But we also have examples of very flawed characters along the way. And one of them Pastor Chris mentioned, and I really love Abraham. And when you meet him in Genesis, he's still Abram. But when we meet him as Abram, God has decided to rename him for a purpose. And when He says He's gonna call him Abraham, He's prophesying over him at the same time, saying, because you're gonna be Abraham, you are going to be the ancestor of many nations. I'm going to give you this land of Canaan. Now at the time, Abram didn't have all of those things and he had a barren wife who could not have children. So he held on to this promise that one day I'm gonna have a child. One day I'm gonna have wealth. But yet he had to wait a long time for this healthy relationship, for these family dynamics that he wanted. But do you think he did it? Do you think he waited all that time for that promised son? No, he went around God's plan. He became impatient. He took a concubine and had a son that way instead. But you see, that was common practice in those times. Now, if anyone did that, you know, it wouldn't be the same. Back then, people did it quite frequently. But you see, that wasn't God's intended plan for this chosen and promised son for Abraham. But he holds on to this promise of fatherhood. He's still waiting for the son from Sarah that God has promised him. But this son comes along, this Ishmael. And Ishmael is illegitimate. He's not wanted in many circumstances and he's abandoned in the end. They send him out to the desert to die. Luckily, he doesn't die, he comes back. And he becomes the father of a nation. You know, Arabic people can trace their descent back to Ishmael, this son, this illegitimate son that no one seemingly wanted, that wasn't the promise of God, yet God used mightily. And you see, Abraham waits again. He's a hundred years old before he gets this son, this Isaac. And then what does God say to him? Sacrifice him. Ishmael nearly dies, Isaac nearly dies. And then we see Abraham as this broken person. He's flawed. We realise that he's one that desperately wanted a family and he waits this long time for them, but then he seems to put them in danger. He seems to make choices to fast track God's plan. So even though you might be waiting on God's plan, you might've had a promise of God. Look at Abraham, look at the example he set. Yes, it worked out in the end. Was there hurt and brokenness along the way though? Yeah. Were people hurt because of his choices and his sin? Definitely. But ultimately we see this story of redemption, that Abraham's sons are used mightily, that he inhabits this land, he's wealthy, he becomes the father of many nations, things that he didn't see as possible as a young man, as an old man he sees in fruition. And you know, we look at other people's lives and we think they've got that perfect life, they've got that family that I wanted, they've got the career that I thought I would have. And on the outside looking in, we look at church and think they don't understand my story or I have come from a lot more than what you even know. But you see, we were all born into brokenness. Whether we are an Isaac or an Ishmael, we're born into brokenness. It's what we do with it that counts. Number four, healthy relationships have no attachment to your past. Harsh. But if you wanna move forward in your relationships, you need to leave your past behind. To build them means not taking baggage into them. And if you already have that baggage, get rid of it. I'm insecure because, or I can't stand up for myself because, I'm angry all the time because. None of those things have places in healthy relationships. There are reasons why we are the way we are. We all have them, but there's no excuses. What I mean by that is because when we come to Christ, we have this opportunity to literally be transformed, to become someone that we don't even recognise sometimes, a brand new person free of our past. 
I love this in Philippians. Now, Paul was a very honest man and this honest man didn't get it right all the time, but he made a commitment to go to churches and to mentor and to say things as they were. And in Philippians 3, 12 to 13, he says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Paul was honest. He said, you know what? I haven't got there yet, but I'm pressing on and I'm going to achieve that perfection that is made possible with Christ. But I'm only gonna do it if I deliberately forget my past and I look forward. Every relationship relies on looking forward. Marriage relies on a lot of looking forward (laughs) because if you look back, there's gonna be (laughs) hell. If you look back all the time with your children and see their mistakes and the way they've fallen short, you won't see the path ahead of you for good kids in the future, for healthy adults. If you look back at all the hurts in your workplace and think, well, that person treated me this way and this happened or I was passed over for promotion, you won't see what can be ahead of you. Our choice is always leaving the past behind or carrying it with us and allowing it to affect the relationships we go into. Recently, I was confronted with a situation from my past and or it brought up issues from my past, I have to say, that I thought I'd left behind. Have you ever thought that you've like, I've moved on, I've forgiven, thank you, Jesus, you know, and you're really proud of yourself and something crops up and you think, oh, I'm back here again. This was me. Now, this was a situation that I couldn't run away from. It wasn't one I could back down from either. It had to be dealt with. That's my first reaction. I'm, you know, fight or flight, people? I think I'm flight, I think. But anyway, in this situation, I definitely was. I looked at every angle of this situation, how I could get out of dealing with it. And I was even offered help to deal with it from my family members. I'll email on behalf of you. I'll call up. I'll do this. And you know, it's so tempting to say, yeah, deal with it. Help me with it. But I saw a weakness in myself, a thing that I couldn't stand up for myself. I couldn't speak my peace and do that, that I'd become so used to just backing down and accepting things that I was a victim in a situation that I didn't want to be in. Now, I am not someone that likes to confront. I'm just not, except for with Bobby and the kids. <laughs> I thought I should say that. I can see him looking at me. Not true, not true. But in certain situations, my thing is, oh, just keep, keep the peace. Anyway, this was a professional situation. And I thought, okay, God, help me. Give me strength to do it, for the grace to do it your way to be professional and to extend forgiveness in an area that I thought I'd already done. It was hard. I realised that if I'd truly forgiven these people and moved on, I wouldn't be feeling the way I was feeling. And that's a good indicator of whether you're past something or not, whether you're healed or not. If it hurts or if it's brought up or you can't see it or face it, then a lot of the time you haven't fully dealt with it. It was time for me to practise what I preach to the kids all the time at school. Speak up for yourself, kindly in your own way, but still do it. You know, so much, so many times I've been tempted to, I've been told to speak up and do things a certain way, but it's not me. And I think I can't do that that way, but I can do it in my own way. Bobby and I deal with things very differently. If I used his words, I'd be very uncomfortable. But if I use my own, I can do it. To speak up for myself. And you know, I realise that when I do this, I'm no longer a victim in that scenario. You might be thinking that. You might say, okay, I've heard everything you've had to say, but my relationships don't look like any of those that you described. They don't sound like that. And they're not perfect. They're dysfunctional, they're unhealthy, and I don't know how to get out of it. 
You know, we all find ourselves in that sometimes because none of ours are perfect. And there's those times where healthy seems a distant memory. Am I right? You think, where did I come from? How did I get here? We live in this social media age as well where it becomes so easy to compare. You know, comparison is very easy to do, but it's something that really can damage your life. It means we assume a lot that someone's home, someone else's whole family life is based on a few Instagram posts per week. We can assume, well, they've got heaps of money. They're always out. They're always buying things. Or, you know, they just live at the gym. Who looks after their kids? Or that mum's so good because she's always baking. You know, you can assume those things about these people. I know you think I'm harsh, but we do this. And the ones that bake, you think, well, they're a great mum. The ones at the gym, you think, oh, where are the kids? You know, we all have those little stereotypes that go on and we compare and we compete constantly all the time. But we realise that this is a glimpse Yes, but it also has to be taken with a pinch of salt because it's not people's real life. It's just a glimpse into it. And sometimes it's just the best part of that week for that person. But in saying that, this comparison and this idea of, okay, we can't be perfect, we still should understand that healthy relationships are possible, that they are still something that Christ requires of us, not just to be like, oh, it's too hard, I can't do it. I can't compete with that. Or I can't do what He's asking. Through Christ, nothing is impossible. He will heal, He will restore and He will retrain your thinking if you let Him. But you have to use the Word as a guide, like I said. You have to ask someone that you look up to in relationships and say, would you mentor me? I see how you speak to your husband and I wanna do that too. Or I see how you mother your kids. Can, I, can you tell me how to do that? Because some of us or most of us haven't come from that background where we know what to do, that it becomes naturally or we've been taught how to do it. If you search the Word time and time again, you're going to find similar stories of brokenness, of people that turned their lives around. It will inspire you. It will make you realise that, hey, this is not all that there is. That if Abraham can stuff up the way he did, then I've got a chance. People who take things to God and are willing to allow Him to heal it, become healthy. They have functioning relationships. It's powerful. We have to work on fixing where we go wrong and we reap the benefits because of it. You see, Abraham reaped the benefits of fixing his mistakes. God didn't hold it against him, the earlier mistakes, and say, you know what, because you did this, this and this, now you cannot have that, that and that. No, He said, you know what, Abraham, you've turned around. Here is your reward like I promised. And I think we sometimes think it's too late. I've stuffed up too much. I've done this. I can't fix that. And I don't believe that's the God we serve. Where there's life, there's hope. Use the hope to restore the best that you can to focus on your own brokenness on the areas that you need to improve on. Now, those situations may not always end up the way you want them to. You might not get that restoration that you were hoping for. But in working on yourself, you will ensure that in the future, those relationships, that won't happen again. Even if some you leave to the past and you say, okay, I have to let that go. That person doesn't want that restoration. That's okay. But it's saying that in the future, that won't happen again to me that now I can do something that I've never done before. And that's the point of Christ, that we do things that we never thought were possible through Him. This is the end of the podcast. For more information about C3 Rockingham, please visit www.c3r.org.au or call us on 9524 5055.